Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 514 of the Juicebox Podcast. Hey, Erica Forsyth is back. You remember Erica? She's a licensed marriage and family therapist who herself has type 1 diabetes, actually for more than three decades. She specializes in working with people with diabetes and their families and caregivers. Today, she and I are going to talk about a lot of interpersonal stuff, relationships, managing type 1 when you're married or with a partner, what happens when one of you is a little better at it than the other, all kinds of different topics today. Erica has been on the show a number of times, so if you enjoy her, check out episode 407, 445, 479, and 473. Wow, you would have thought I would have done those in order, but I didn't. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Please always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you live in California and you'd like to hire Erica, you can do that. I'll put her contact information in the show notes and at the end of the episode. This episode of the Juicebox podcast is sponsored by Touched by Type 1. Please check them out. They have a mission to elevate awareness of type 1 diabetes raise funds to find a cure, and inspire those with diabetes to thrive. They have a ton of programs. You can find out all about them at touchedbytype1.org. Now, if you love the Facebook, they're there. And uh, Instagram, just the same. So Instagram, Facebook, and touchedbytype1.org. At that link, find out about their annual conference, their dance program. They have a beautiful program where they send out information to newly diagnosed people. They call that their D-Box program. You can go right now and ask for a D-Box. Listen, it's a great organization. I speak at their events every chance I get. I'm really excited to support them. Don't forget that their programs and services are for those living with the daily reality of type 1 diabetes. They offer a supportive community with many interactive programs and creative resources designed to empower one to thrive with T1D. If you're interested, there are links in your show notes and links at juiceboxpodcast.com. Here comes Erica. Hi, Erica. How are you? Hi. Good morning. Doing well. How are you? You're doing well, even though I ghosted you last time we were supposed to record? <laughs> yes. Okay. I'm, we can I'm, still be friends. I'm apologizing in front of people so that you know I mean it, because <laughs> I've been told that my apologies do not seem sincere. And so I uh, I want to make sure that I'm being sincere. I just messed up. And actually, my calendar messed up. But I also know it's important not to blame other things when you're apologizing. So it's my fault. Um, but honestly... <laughs> I accept your apology. Thank you. It's Apple's fault, if we're being clear. <laughs> uh, we have a couple of questions here that, that seem to go together. This one from Katie. Um, how do I handle disagreements between caregivers over management approaches? Um, and and she sort of got a secondary question in here that I think goes right along with it. And she says, how do I handle when one person is better at managing than the other? So that seems like a real interpersonal question, right? Yes. Well, I, I think when we're thinking about caregivers and or couples, 
trying to co-parent and co-manage their child's diabetes, I would first want to take a step back and assess how is your relationship doing in general. Um, while the diabetes could be significant, um, interfering in how in how you are relating as a couple, are there were there other issues prior to the the diagnosis? I would want to assess, you know, your communication, your emotional and physical intimacy, um, and maybe say, is it, is it appropriate before diving into how to manage the diabetes? Is it appropriate to go and maybe do some therapy or some work around your basic kind of communication skills and understanding of how you relate to one another? Um, so that would be my, the first step. But if you feel like you're in a good place as in your, in your relationship with your partner and things are going well in, in other areas of your life, then I would then dive into the, the type one and first maybe understand, I think in your, in your world too, Scott, that it's just, it's pretty natural for one caregiver to kind of be the primary caregiver. Yeah. And that happens because as we know, it takes a lot of time and consistent work and understanding of all the nuances of how your child's blood sugar goes up and down based on food and exercise and all the small intricacies around that. Mm -hmm. So it takes time. And unless both caregivers from the beginning are equally spending the same amount of time understanding all of that, it's natural for one caregiver to, to understand it better. Yeah. Um, well, Sorry, go ahead. No, I want to ask, is this it, what it's making me feel like is, is this what would uh, be commonly put under the heading of correlation does not imply causation? The people, <laughs> the people don't really like, I hear what you're saying. Like you've now introduced this new thing into your life, but it's not as if we're all walk, walking around in a perfect existence. And now we have a problem. We have a lot of little problems that many of us have learned how to ignore not necessarily deal with. And now this thing's pushed to the to the forefront. It is not ignorable, right? You can't you can't look away from yours or your child's diabetes the way you could look away uh, from a snoring spouse or, you know, something, you know, even more, you know, impactful. Is that is that what you're saying here is like you you kind of got to get your ducks in a row before you can tackle this thing? I, if if you had the time and were able to do that, because I think if there are un other underlying issues that you have either been ignoring or you can still kind of function in a, you know, a normal, you know, quote, normal way in mm -hmm. a, in a relationship, um, that's, that's one thing, right? Like if you're, you're functioning, you're, you're doing your work, maybe you're, you're managing your children, whether you're both are, you know, working at home or not, or outside the house. But then, yes, like this, this piece, you can't ignore, you can only ignore, you know, you ignore the dishes, <laughs> ignore like your responsibilities in the home. Yeah. And it, it's eventually something will happen. But yes, you can't ignore this. But this could be, this diagnosis could be the moment when you realize, you know what, there, we do need to deal with these other issues as well in our marriage or our relationship. So that we can then move forward together, whether that means one person is the primary caregiver of the type one or that you both are. But I would really encourage couples, for example, if they do come to work with me, 
we will work on the diabetes piece, but often I will encourage them to also go to either marital or relational therapy mm-hmm. to address kind of these other underlying issues. I'm going to say something that you might find crazy, uh, but let, uh, that's amazing advice. And if anybody wants my opinion, go do that. But <laughs> if you're not going to do it, or if you have a spouse who won't get involved, or you're just saying to yourself, I can't afford that. I know mm-hmm. this is going to sound crazy, but let's reverse engineer your your understanding of the human mind. How do we put this into how do we put this into a little tiny box that we can ignore? Uh, if if we like, you know, I know that's wrong, but don't you think that's what's going to happen in some cases? And I, we don't ever give people, not you and me, but but in general, we give people great advice in the world but it's not always followable for everybody. Like how do we make it followable for the people who don't have the time or the inclination who might be listening and saying, ah, this isn't because I need to go to therapy. It's because my husband's a jerk. Like, like, you know, when you're thinking that way, Mm -hmm. like, is there a way, Mm -hmm. boy, is this the wrong thing? Is this like asking how to do drugs safely? Although I've done an episode on that. So (laughs) I guess maybe, I guess maybe, uh, that is my question. Do you have anything like, are you just going to, you can just say pass, but do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I think, I mean, and I appreciate that question because yeah. in reality, yes, it does take time. It does take money. It does take, if you're going to therapy and you have multiple children, you have to get it. There's so many, you know, you have to get a babysitter. There's so many things to, in order to do that and prioritize your relationship. Mm-hmm. And in real life, that sometimes is feels impossible. And so I, I understand that and I get it. So if we were to say, okay, that's not a reality for, you know, this family, then I would then say, okay, what's the, what's the next best thing that we can do? I would a couple things. I think if one person is managing quote better or has a better understanding of how to manage the child's diabetes, then there needs to be maybe an agreement, you know, within your, the household of, okay, this person is going to manage the day-to-day. But at the same time, the other partner has to come to at least a basic knowledge level. And maybe that means going and listening to your pro tip series or um, having, you know, like a day in a life of being the the primary caregiver Mm -hmm. to understand not only the time and energy it takes to be, you know, watching the CGM all night long and not sleeping and dealing with the lows and the highs, knowing that an extra like a soccer practice is going to affect your child's blood sugar may be different than the soccer game like all these small things that you get to pick up on if you are the primary caregiver and so the maybe pressure, it, 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 i don't want to cut you off but the pressure I yes, think is such a big mm-hmm. one like the like when you're in charge of keeping someone healthy there is a there is a low din of pressure that doesn't go away if you don't know what you're doing. Like if you understand it, then the pressure comes and goes situationally. But when you don't understand it, it feels constantly 24 seven, like you're killing somebody. And that's not obvious to the other person who's not involved in the management. I mean, I have to say for me, that's been the biggest leap is to get across to like, when you do such a good job, well, that came out wrong, but I do a really good job taking care of Arden's blood sugar so much so mm-hmm. that she probably doesn't and hopefully never will feel the full possibility of impact from diabetes. And because of that, her 
perspective is different. My wife's perspective is different. If they lived in a house where her blood sugars were ping-ponging all over the place for the last 12 years, then they'd see it differently too. But it, I maybe, it's possible I make it look easy sometimes, but it doesn't make it less impactful on me. And then you can't get that, I don't want to call it respect, but you, you can't get that understanding from onlookers. I don't know if all that. Yes. Yes. Sense. So yeah. you, because you are doing it so well and, and, and I hear you're concerned and saying that like you are, you're doing yeah. a great job. Right. And so then you don't, nobody else is experiencing the side effects or the consequences of, of the, you know, the roller coasters, et cetera. And so then people might think, or your, your wife might suspect, Oh, it's not that hard. Right. Um, but in reality, we know that the primary caregiver experiences burnout for sure. All of the things that we've talked about in the other episodes, the distress, the burnout, the resentment of, I am working hard to keep our child alive and my partner doesn't understand how hard it is. And, and then that leads to resentment 100% of the time. Yeah. Um, so while it might not work in a lot of families to have this like equitable and equal amount of time in terms of co-managing mm-hmm. there does need to be some level of understanding which will lead to the respect and the gratitude of what it takes to do what you're doing and the knowledge to know uh, when not to shit on what's happening like i i don't really know a better way to say that like you know what i mean like if i'm in charge of the checkbook erica and you have nothing to do with it you don't look over my shoulder every once in a while and go, what are you doing here? It's like, look, if you want to be involved in the checkbook, be involved in the checkbook. But, uh, you know, we've been a lot, you know, we've been together a long time here. Everything's fine. All the bills are paid. Got a little savings going. I'm doing a good job. Like it's, it's, it would be like if I showed up at your office, stood in a corner and 15 minutes into a session said, Hey, Eric, are you sure that's the question you want to ask here? Like, you'd be Mm -hmm. like, who are you in this situation? You don't know what's happening. It's, it's, it can be very difficult not to respond like you've been attacked, even if maybe that person wasn't attacking you. Maybe they were just like interested or thought they had a good idea to add or something like that. But I, I mean, maybe maybe I'm just letting too much of myself out here. But um, <laughs> but but you know what I mean. You can feel really like somebody's coming after you in that situation, right? right. And so then I would say, okay, going back to okay, how are you communicating as a couple? What are the what are you leading with? What is your tone? How are the questions being asked? Is it, why did you, why did you bowl us this amount for that food in that kind of tone? Or is it, gosh, I'm really curious. So I know for next time, can you help me understand why you gave this amount for that food? Those, Um, those little sentences are so incredibly important in personal communication um, especially amongst people who've been around each other for a long time because you just get the feeling like the other person knows what I mean, but they don't. It doesn't matter how long you've been together. It, it It's a very nice way to start a conversation by saying, hey, I was wondering if you could explain to me what just happened here because I don't understand it and I would like to. Like you have to put yourself mm-hmm. in a slightly, I don't know, it, it, like professionally speaking, if it's a dominant and sub and sub position, but you have to be kind of, in the sub position for a second. Like I find, l- listen, I'm, I'm pretty good at talking to people. And I think that one of the ways you talk to people well is by making them feel comfortable and letting them feel like they can get their thoughts out. And when you come at somebody and you're very demanding, that does not ever happen that way. And so I think even when you've known somebody for a very long time, 
those words that might feel like the polite words you say for the guy at the gas station really should be used between people who know each other as well. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I think tone has everything to do with, you know, how we receive, um, deliver and receive messages. Um, obviously body language and, and words are important too, but tone is, is extremely important. And so an understanding that if the, if you are the non-primary caregiver, there needs to be that level of understanding that my my partner is exhausted because they probably aren't sleeping well at all. Mm. And they are constantly under this level of stress of, of what, you know, trying to keep your child alive. But you aren't going to get that or you, you won't be able to come from that position of empathy unless you have this basic level of knowledge and understanding. Right. And so I think going back to that point of, how can you integrate your partner into the co-management or at least co-understanding of what it means to manage the diabetes? Um, and I think, you know, some, some families that I've worked with, they will like, if a, if one caregiver is away for the weekend, then the other person is forced to learn, right. And trial by fire, maybe the other caregiver is helping via text and call. Okay. I see the arrow going this way. Let's do this. Um, but slowly allowing, you know, the other caregiver to experience what it's like. And maybe, maybe the other caregiver is still the primary one, but to allow for these opportunities for both the primary caregiver to get a sort of a break and the other caregiver to experience, wow, that was really challenging to build in that empathy and understanding. Um, The, the other point around um, the, 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 yeah. So the tone to build empathy and understanding. Um, I'll, I'll pause there. No, I, this is, you know, because we talked before we started recording, but this is about to happen to me. Like I'm going to have to help my wife manage remotely for six days or so while I'm gone somewhere. And I'm reminding myself as much as I'm reminding other people, but I wonder too, like, is it folly to like, to say to the person who's in that situation, now here's another job for you. Explain it to your spouse how for them how they need to you know be to, to make this successful. Like maybe you should just force them to listen to this and be like, listen, just listen to that. That's what I mean to say to you. But I don't have time. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like I, I because when do you run out of time? Like because this isn't your mm-hmm. only thing. Like it's funny what we just explained. As a person who was a stay at home dad for twenty years, you take out the word diabetes and put in housework. And mm-hmm. we just had the same exact conversation, honestly. Like I mm-hmm. did things around the house that people didn't appreciate. And everyone who does the dishes or the laundry or, you know, sweeps under the bed, you know, they understand that, you know, when when your spouse isn't sneezing at night because there's not a big dust bunny under the bed, nobody stops to thank you for that. They don't even know what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, it's just, it's the idea of, of stopping yourself from... <sighs> taking people for granted, I guess. Right. Yes. And, and I think it, it goes back to yeah, the time and the energy of, you know, oftentimes caregivers will, will tell me like, well, it's just easier for me to do it. So I'm just going to keep doing it. Um, but we know that that's, you can't do that forever. We also know that diabetes isn't going to go away. And so you're going to continue to come, you know, experience that pattern of resentment and burnout if there, if you aren't getting any kind of support or understanding or gratitude for what you are doing, um, 
And so, I mean, if your if your partner was open to either listening to the episodes, the you know the the pro tips or the basic diabetes understanding, I know for a lot of families upon diagnosis, because one other the other caregiver either has to work or take care of the other kids. So from the get go, it is often one caregiver and the child in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And learning what it means, you know, going through all of the the seminars and classes and education. And so even from, you know, day one, the one caregiver is going to know and understand more than the other because of just of circumstances and not because they're trying to be cruel. Yeah. And so, but then the, then the patterns, you know, continue. Um, so I think it's never too late to ask your, your partner to say, gosh, I'm, we're, we're experiencing this, this cycle of, you know, you either, you either criticize the way I'm doing it, but you don't really understand how to do it. Or I'm feeling resentful because you don't know how, or I'm so exhausted and stressed out that I have no time to connect with my caregiver. Cause I just need to sleep when I can, um, to say all those things out loud when you're not in the midst of a, an argument and then ask for like, okay, how can we, not necessarily fix this, but address this. And maybe it is having some understanding. Maybe it is allowing the other caregiver to experience, you know, taking the kids to the park or that, you know, your, your child with diabetes to the park, having these small moments of like, wow, that was really scary when I noticed my child was going low and I didn't have anything to, to bring it up, bring that, you know, we didn't have any snacks. So all these things, allowing the care, other caregiver to experience, to hopefully build in that empathy, which is what we, I think what you really want is like empathy and understanding and gratitude as the primary caregiver from, um, from experience. May I lay down just a little layer of blue collar advice here? Um, and I know <laughs> this is not going to be um, politically correct, but if you can't get all that done, uh, coming as a, a, a straight guy, from my opinion, if you just said something like, if you understood extended bolus is better, I'd have more energy for sex. That probably moves most guys in the direction you want to go. Yeah. <laughs> that's all. Yeah, that's all. That's what I do. I would yes, ju- bottom uh, yeah. line, bottom yeah, line. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you make me a girl. That's how I attack this. I'm like, listen, you don't, what you don't understand is. And then I, whatever, you know, floats the person's boat on the other side, I say there'd be more of that if there was more of this from you. I think that's, I think that puts most guys right back in line, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. And, and by the way, men who <laughs> that, aren't that swayed by that. That might be the best advice of this whole episode. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. men who aren't swayed by that <laughs> argument, I don't understand you at all. What do you think of that? <laughs> I once drove to yeah. Delaware to have sex. Do you understand? I didn't live in Delaware. <laughs> I was like, wait, uh, what? No. what's going to happen if I come there? Oh, I'm on my way. <laughs> we just get right. some gas in the car and take a shower. Here I go. I'll be there in four hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to understand how to move the chess pieces around. But it is such a huge problem, like not to make light of it. Um, but I do want to take I do want to like walk across the courtroom and take the other side for a second. Um, okay. If you're the person who doesn't get it. I, I always want to say that, you know, because I, I see people online, they're always like, my spouse doesn't understand. That, and they it always adds, they always act like they're it's on purpose. They don't get involved on purpose. But I wonder how many times those people aren't scared out of their minds or like afraid to do the wrong thing. You know what I mean? Um, 
also, there are a lot of people who are afraid to act until they're sure. And I know that seems like the same idea, but it's not like there are some people who can't make an action until they have all the answers before they go. And now you're making this a health issue around a child. Probably, I'm guessing, a child that this person loves a lot. And they're probably like, I don't know what to do. I mean, you're keeping her alive. I'll Let me stay out of it. And then, mm-hmm. and then the human part gets involved where you do realize this is easier not to be involved in this. And that's where it starts to go wrong. When you willfully stay out of it is different than when you stay out of it because you're afraid. Um, and I, there's a difference there, I think. Yes, I, I appreciate that perspective because I think maybe what could be helpful in that, if that is the case, to sit down with your partner and say, can you help me understand why, like maybe you've gotten into these patterns and roles, right? But you're realizing it's not sustainable. And to say like, have your partner or give your partner an opportunity to, to say all of those things to say, gosh, you know, I, I I'm either scared mm-hmm. because I don't know how, um, and I'm fearful of making a mistake and you are much better at it than I would ever be. Um, and I don't, I don't want to try. I don't want to mess it up. Um, and I think that would be helpful too for your, for the primary caregiver to, and to hear that and maybe have some empathy too of like, okay, maybe I've just done it all and it's easier for me to do it, but you know, I'm experiencing all these side effects, mm-hmm. but my, my, my partner may want to, may want to try, but there's fear or there's, um, yeah. And then now, and then, then that fear has led to, well, I just, I don't, I don't want to do it. Right. Um, well, well now what any, about any, any, yeah, go ahead. What about in a more, mm, uh, what's the word? What, what about when your partner is actually a bad actor? There's a question here. I'm not going to attach the person's name to it, but it says, what if the other parent pretends that you don't exist, will not help you or give advice without making you feel like a horrible parent that is killing their child. I guess mm-hmm. what I'd like to know is how to get this person to help me with how, they manage our son, which he seems to, okay, when he has so much resentment for me that he can't get over it or put it aside. So this sounds like a scenario where one person wants to help, does not have the tools they need, and the and the other person is just, is just crushing them every time they come at them. You don't know what you're doing. You're going to kill them, like that kind of thing. And I have to tell you, mm-hmm. this message is not gender the way you would expect it to be. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. so, um, what if you've got a bad actor in the situation? Like, what's the, I mean, that's a bigger difference. Like, how do you fix it? And I guess, when do you say the rest of my relationship I'm happy with, this part I'm not happy with? I guess not even just around diabetes. Like, at what point do you just, what, what's, what, what I want to say? Like, do, would you, when do you just accept people's flaws? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, there's two questions. <sighs> Yeah. And, and, and this question, yeah. And I understand that. So the one, one parent has the understanding of how to do it and the other parent wants to know how, but when the, when this parent tries the other, the primary caregiver kind of shames and ridicules and berates this other parent in terms of like, you're not, you're, you're doing a terrible job. You're going to kill our child. Is it a power um, move? Is that a power move? 
It feels, I mean, from this particular question, it feels like there might be some other issues going on um, in in the marriage. I'm not, I mean, again, I don't know right. this scenario. I don't know this person. Um, but it feels like if there's so much um, power and there's shame and there's, um, and, and there, there's obviously there's resentment here because the one parent knows how to do it well and is, is angry. It feels like there's a lot of anger too underneath this yeah. of you don't know how to do it. And if whenever you try it, you mess it up. Um, and so it feels like it, there's either some, you know, un, un either felt or expressed anger or sadness, even around the, the, or not to make it all about you yeah. know sadness, but it feels like there's some other underlying emotions underneath this. And I think if, and then this happens and I've, I know I do read a lot on, you know, on the, um, the Facebook group that these, these kinds of things happen. And if it's to the point where it's so contentious all the time, if whenever one parent wants to try to help, I would highly, highly encourage, you know, marital or relational therapy because I feel like it might be difficult to get to this, to the issue of the diabetes, unless there's some rebuilt of like, there's, there's obviously a violation of either trust or love or connection. It feels um, like the one person is almost gleeful that there's something to, to come at the other person with like, Oh, now I have a really good reason to call them names and tell them they're bad at stuff. Does, I mean, do you get that vibe from that a little bit? Like, Oh, just, it's an opportunity. Like I'm a bad person. I'm doing bad things to my spouse. And this is a great opportunity for me to to do that. Like, I don't know why someone would want to do that. But if you wanted to, honestly, your don't know how to handle our kids. Diabetes is a great way to make somebody feel terrible. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You usually and don't think of I people think, the way I think of them, huh? <laughs> There's times, wait, what, what's that? I said, I don't think you think about people the way I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like to give people, yes, the benefit of the doubt. And usually right. when we're lashing out um, and we're shaming another person because they aren't doing it the way we think we should do things, then I feel like there's some, uh, there's some, something else is underneath that. Healthy people um, don't do that to each other. What's that? Hel- mentally healthy people don't do that to each other. Is that right? Or not, well, not to this I would degree? Say maybe people who aren't necessarily struggling with mean, this. I, when you are communicating in this, in our, you know, with, with type one, you are, one person is going to be fatigued and, and stressed. And so it's hard to operate and communicate and be mindful of your tone and all that. So I think acknowledging that, but not excusing certain behaviors I think when you are at this kind of crisis moment of we cannot connect on how to manage our child's type one, to have to sit down and try to find moments when you aren't actually heated to be able to share your experience of how you're, how you're trying to manage the type one when you're not trying to manage the type one. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, when I see that become problematic. So first of all, I'm going to flip flop here for a second. I I say all the time that you can't let yourself get exhausted because you do not notice it happen. And the detriments from being exhausted are many. They're varied. They go through your life and you do not know you're doing it. You Sometimes you are genuinely lashing out at people and not even a, aware that you're doing it. 
but I've always, but that's the thought I've always had in the back of my head too. Like this isn't a conversation for now, but then the problem becomes when does that conversation happen? Yeah. And you know, like, and you think, Oh, at the end of the day, you mean at the end of the day, Erica, when you get in bed and we're both reminded we're not going to have sex with each other because we're so pissed because mm-hmm. that's not a fun time to talk. And then mm-hmm. you sit there quietly and you're like, I'm going to bring it up. This is a good time. And then you hear the CGM or something like that. And you're like, oh, you know, you just finding um, this isn't just around this idea, but p- time out time, like pause time is super important and incredibly difficult to create. I think. Yes. Yeah. So, so challenging. Um, right. But you, I feel like you, if you want to make changes in how you communicate and relate with your partner, then you have to make certain sacrifices and prioritize. So maybe it's okay. We're not going to carve out an hour. We're going to carve out 10 minutes mm-hmm. and we're going to agree to the date and time. And then you're both prepared. And whether maybe you put your whatever you need to do to prioritize that 10 minutes or 20 minutes um, and, and follow through on that. Because then if, if you aren't making these prior, these times or these moments to connect about the issues that are going to continue, yeah. then the issues are going to continue. Um, See, I think but that's you the both most important. need to be on the same page. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the most important thing that's been said so far is that, that <clears throat> you're not going to get to any of this inside of another situation and you really are going to like, you know how they say, you know, what do they say? Save the first 10% of your income, right? Before you pay your bills, pay yourself before you pay your bills. (laughs) I think there there's something to that. Like, you know, you can look at each other and go, look, we're obviously arguing a lot. Things aren't going well. You're yelling at me. I'm yelling at you. Maybe you're not yelling. Maybe you're like, look, I'm mad at you. I don't even tell you, but we, we're not going to be able to do that. Now we literally need to put on the calendar Mm-hmm. a space and time. This is when we do it. And we sit down and just agree that you can't let anger into this moment. You you can't bring your grudges in here. I'm going to say how I feel. You say how you feel. And the goal has to be for us to find middle ground and, and not mm-hmm. to pile one issue on top of another. I would think one issue at a time, like don't go in with a list. You know what I mean? Uh, does that make am i wrong like there's times when i say things and i'm like at some point she's going to tell me i'm an idiot is this the moment (laughs) no No, i think yes don't go into a list and and stay in the emotion as best you can around what you're experiencing i mean if if you were trying to work on connection because if you don't feel connected it's hard to problem solve Mm -hmm. and so you know like i feel I feel exhausted. I feel resentful or I feel um, like I'm doing it all by myself. And then the other person is like, hey, well, I, I don't know how, or I feel fearful or I feel like you're never going like, to give me a chance. Um, if you feel like you can't get through those types of conversations, then that would be another indicator of like, maybe we need to go back to, and not like, not intense, you know, therapy, but maybe it's like two or three check-in sessions yeah. with a, you know, someone Moderated conversations, right? Moderating helps you communicate and helps you rephrase certain things, being mindful of your tone, your, all of those things. Um, So I think just understanding when I'm, when I'm suggesting marital therapy, it's not necessarily, you know, go and do, try and fix all the things. It's just maybe going back to some, a couple sessions of of basic 
communication to help rebuild that connection and kind of rebuild that that trust. Yeah, we don't that have to. You guys are in it together. Yeah. yeah, not everybody needs to be t- torn down to the bad thing that happened to them when they were six and a half to get to an answer. Uh, right. right, right. We're not. You don't need everybody to go to see doctor. It doesn't have to be Freudian psychology. I guess is uh, psychiatry is what you're saying. <laughs> Right, right, you can right. just go to therapy and and have somebody there who hears, <laughs> who can hear in your sentence that you're about to stir up some shit and stop you <laughs> and go. Right, right. You know, just the objective, right. objective listener who can help guide the conversation, um, and and I think that could be really beneficial. But going back to you know, you're the the first point was you know, well, we just can't. We don't even have time to that. Then just maybe start smaller. Start with the ten minutes on your calendar. Um, and and then and be respectful of the time. Say, okay, 10 minutes is done or whatever the time that you've allotted. And then schedule out the next time, knowing that you're not going to fix everything that first connection, you know, that first calendared conversation. Can I ask you a question? Uh, that, but that it's a start. Mm-hmm. That might not feel like it fits here, but in my mind it does a little bit. Um, just generally speaking, gender, broken out over gender lines. Do we have different expectations like, do, are men's general expectations of a partner different than that of a, a woman's expectations of a partner? And is that how a person can be doing what they feel is the best they can and it can somehow ring hollow to the other side because it's not what you're not doing the thing that the other person's actually looking for? And there's no way to know that because you're doing the thing that if somebody did it for you, you'd be thrilled about. That was convoluted, but did you understand what I meant? Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't break it down by gender. I would break it down by personality, by how you were raised. Maybe you're, you're, you're making choices and doing things by your own personal experience. Mm-hmm. And, and oftentimes we either feel like how, how you were raised is the right way, or you feel like how you were raised is the wrong way and you're going to do the opposite. Right. But I feel like we often, we function out of that. Um, and so, so people, I, even I wouldn't, I wouldn't break people. it down by gender, but <laughs> okay. well, no, okay. I was wrong. See, it's good. I, this is why I like you. Cause you call me out. Um, but so, but the, the idea of like, I'm doing the best I can and oh my God, I wish someone would treat me this way. And then you don't get it back. Like meaning like, you're like, Oh, it didn't land. You know what I mean? Like the person I was trying to help mm-hmm. is just completely left hollow from this. I don't know what to do next. And even and it, it's simple to say, like, you can ask that person what they want, but sometimes it people don't know what they want. And or sometimes they have trouble telling you what they want. It's there's are, are, should people not be should we all just live isolated, Erica? Is that what we're learning here? Just all have <laughs> no. our own cave and live in our cave and then just come out for sex day and then go back in the cave again. Is that what this should be? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that would be so sad. You know, we are we are we are relational. I think we want to be we want to be acknowledged and in that we can also acknowledge others, you know, for what for all that we that's been seen and done. You said something at the beginning that I wanted to kind of just kind of end on here with this conversation if you think we're done. But you you talked about like lose the loss of physical intimacy. And is that an is that an easier way to mend fences than talking? Like if you've lost a physical connection, can leaping back into that or trying to fix that is that easier to fix than talking? I guess is my question. 
or no? Gosh, I think, well, depending on the, the, the couple, um, one, one party, one partner might feel like the reason why there isn't the emotional intimacy because the physical intimacy is lacking. Right. And the other partner might feel like, well, I, I don't want to be physically intimate because I don't feel emotionally connected with you. Well, that makes sense. And you could come to a, you know, a, a, an impasse, right? Because one person's needs aren't being met and then that they're not going to give the other person the other needs. So it's going back to understanding what are, what are your partner's needs and off, maybe it is like, okay, we need to, someone needs to give a little, yeah. whether the partner's like holding out to feel emotionally connected before they, before they feel comfortable physically or vice versa. Like it didn't need to be, I know. Cause I joke around. You probably thought I, I meant like swinging from the chandelier, but could it just be like <laughs> holding hands or like touching someone on the shoulder when you walk past them or just giving the other person the feeling like you're not avoiding them. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's like, it's got to start somewhere. And because if, if, because the stuff we're talking about is, is not intuitive for the people, for people sometimes, but like you have to move in the right direction or you continue to move in the wrong direction. And like, mm -hmm. I just feel like you have to fight upstream sometimes. And, Maybe just holding someone's hand or sitting next to them while they're watching television or something like that would go a long way to making another person feel comfortable. I might be wrong. I'm just I'm no. I think yeah. no. You're good. This yeah. I, I think starting yes, starting is small, and we don't. If if you feel like there has been zero physical intimacy, and one partner is feeling like there's no way I'm ever going to, I ever want to have sex with this person until we get to this spot emotionally. To go back, yes, to saying maybe my partner's love language is physical touch and intimacy. So how can I help bridge that? That might be an easier way, as you said, to start smaller mm -hmm. with the, the small touches, gestures. Um, and that might lead to both of you then feeling more open and ready to have some more emotional intimacy conversations, communication. Um, so I think it just depends on what, Knowing, knowing your own quote love language and your partners, and then being willing, one one person often has to take the first step. I'm just saying, in those old Tom um, which and is Jerry, challenging. in those old Tom and Jerry cartoons, when they had to get past the bulldog, they'd throw a stake over the fence. That's all I'm getting at here. And <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, oh. listen. The rest of the reality of what you just said, I don't not understand that I you know a person might not want to be intimate with somebody that they don't feel comfortable with. That obviously makes a thousand percent sense. But I mean, once you're in it for a while, once you're married for 10 or 15 years, and you see things are just like, wow, none of this is going the way I want. I mean, are you just, what are you just riding it out? Like, it just feels like you're just climbing higher and higher on the Titanic, trying not to get wet. You know, it's mm -hmm. going to happen eventually. So try something. You, you know what I mean? I, I don't know. Yes. Kate I, Winslet got away on a bedpost. To, to try something, being open to give, you know, trying some intervention, <laughs> trying some gesture to, to make a change. Because as we know, if we're going to, we're not going to, change things aren't going to change stuff stuff's not just going to magically get better mm -hmm. and and even that like feeling of like oh i'll get mellower as i get older it's you'll have too much resentment at that point it won't matter if you don't have the piss and vinegar to fight anymore you're still not going to like the person you're looking at because you're going to feel like you wasted time or life or 
I don't know. You got to do something is how I feel about it. Like you have to try something. And, um, and I do think the idea that someone needs to be the, not the bigger person. I'm, I believe in the intent of that phrase, but not the words of that phrase, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like someone has to go first. Like someone's got to swallow hard and go, all right, fine. I'll do this. Like I'll be the one and, and do it with a lot of joy. Not, not angry. Like like, begrudgingly. Yeah. Yeah. You can't be begrudging about it. That's all. Uh, I fixed the whole thing. But there's hope. I think, you know, just being, being hopeful and holding on that, remembering go. I think if you're at the place where you feel hopeless to go back to remembering how you first met as often, this is like a, and I know we're we're wrapping up here, but Mm -hmm. maybe it's you're, you don't, when you're scheduling that time together to not at first address the issue at hand, but to reflect on how you first met the feelings you, you, you had and the experiences you, you created together to go back and remember, remind yourself and your partner and, and, reflect together to maybe go back to the beginning could be a place to start as well to kind of reignite that sense of hope. How much value is there in being reasonable about who you, who you're with too? Like at what point do you just say, you know, maybe this isn't what I was hoping this person was going to turn into, but if I'm being honest, this is who they are. They're being really consistent. Like at what point can I say, I love you I don't like this part about you, but I love you. And I'm going to stop focusing on the thing I don't like and, and see the bigger picture. Like, I don't know if that's wrong or not. Like I'm, I'm genuinely asking, like, at what point do you not like expect somebody to be perfect and Mm -hmm. say to yourself, there was a time when that, you know, Piccadillo didn't bother me. And now it's the only thing I can look at. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, if you were, if you were in that place and trying to figure out how to, to come to that place of, of acceptance, embracing who your partner is, loving that your partner, um, then maybe that's a time for you to do some own like reflection too, whether that's, you know, by yourself through journaling, reading books, therapy, um, to kind of get to that place of, can you do that? Do you, do you want to, and can you get to that place of, of acceptance. Yeah. I want to be clear that I'm just trying to talk through this. Like I genuinely don't think like if it comes across, like I think you should, you know, have a, have a whiskey and water at the bed at the, you know, at the table with the the newspaper and his pipe and it's 1950. And when he comes home, you rub his feet, put on his slippers and then go flop on the bed till he's ready to bang on you. Like, I'm not saying that, like, I really am not trying to put that out there. Okay. Like I, I seriously don't think that I don't have those thoughts about relationships. I just think that it's, it's hard to see the other person's side. And sometimes it's, it just, it's, it's difficult to in this conversation, this kind of conversation where I'm trying to play, I'm trying to argue both sides while you and I are talking that I don't want people to think like, Oh, he just thinks that women should, you know, be barefoot and pregnant. Like I don't feel that way. And I don't, and I don't think (laughs) I I didn't pick up. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad I'm just now I'm nervous at the end here because we're talking. I'm like, Jesus, there's somebody out there right now is like, I'm not just going to have sex with him to shut him up, but I'm not saying that. Um, I, I'm genuinely not. I saying think. That. I mean. I think. Yeah. Bottom line is that you know, marriage or relationships, it takes work, and and you got to be willing to do the work. And then when you integrate 
a chronic illness into the equation, it's going to take even more work. Mm -hmm. And I think oftentimes it, it's hard to, it's hard to do the work. Um, it just is. Yeah. There, there are close to 90,000 scholarly articles that come back. If you Google, uh, divorce and chronic illness or something like that. Mm -hmm. So this Mm -hmm. is not a new problem that you're having. I think that's important to know that, that people could feel like, Oh my God, this is it. Like I was bad at being a spouse or I picked the wrong part. If you think that most people aren't going through this, you're out of your minds. Like, like this is, yeah, this is everybody's life. Nobody, nobody gets away with this. They just find some people are just better at pretending. I always say the happier people look, the more full of they are. So, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's probably sometimes too, but yeah, I I mean, I think it's just, it, it takes, yes. I mean, that's a very true thing of, Mm. you know, divorce, um, within or as a result or a part of, you know, living with a chronic illness or having a child with chronic illness. And I think just knowing the, yes, that you're not alone, that it's, it is challenging and it, it it does it takes it takes work on top of the work that you're doing to to keep your child alive. Yeah. I have a very pragmatic approach to like happiness. Um I don't expect to be happy every day. And I even expect that there could be days that turn into weeks where nothing that I would, you know, think of is like really super exciting and something I'm glad to be doing, you know, might happen. I might get stuck in a work cycle. It's happened to me over the last couple of weeks. Like I've had to I've had to prepare the podcast instead of preparing a week of it. I've had to prepare three weeks of it to cover my absence, right? And so mm-hmm. I've been working like crazy. So I've been getting up, working, going to sleep, getting up, working, like I've over and over and over again. And if, you know, I've heard, no lie, I've heard 15 hours of this podcast in the last five days, like editing and doing things. And I've said, you know, uh, learn more at omnipod.com forward slash juice box more in the last 48 hours than I've said it in like three weeks. So <laughs> it's not fun work. But I also think that way about life. Like I think if I live, I don't know, if I, I figure if I live 80 years and the first 15 die kind of don't count because I don't really remember them so much. So, you know, if I've got 60 years in there and 20 of them are terrific and 10 of them are pretty good and five of them are all right and 10 of them sucked and five of them were terrible. When I get to the end, that's not bad to me. Like, to me, that makes sense that every day is not going to be a carnival. Now, when they start happening in long stretches, obviously, that's a different problem. But I mean, I just don't, I don't have a happiness expectation. I'm happy to be happy. And there are plenty of times that I'm happy, but I'm not sad when I'm not elated. Is that healthy or Mm -hmm. am I fooling myself Mm -hmm. into accepting too little? No, I think what you're saying is, you know, life, life is, and can be a grind sometimes and, and accepting that and working towards it. And you're working towards something and you're doing something that you enjoy or passionate about knowing that life is going to ebb and flow. And so I think that it's having, it's, it's a realistic perspective of there are going to be hard moments. There are going to be moments that feel just kind of ordinary and there are going to be moments that are great. And to accept that, you know, those seasons don't last forever. Um, just like, you know, most emotions don't last forever. They come and go. And I think that being able to kind of live in that and through that is, is where you're at peace. 
Yeah. Um, and it, it takes, it takes work. I'm sure you, you know, you've worked to get there emotionally. Yeah. Things can and will get better. Like judging your whole existence by the bad thing that's happening right now, in my mind is a mistake. I, I, I love, there are people on this planet that I love more than myself and I've had amazing interactions with them. Sometimes just days after they've said something to me that I'd think, oh, wow, I'm never going to see this person again. Or this person hates my guts, but they're just, they could be also going through something and likely are. I just don't, Mm -hmm. I don't give up. Like, I I just think like, this is what it is. And we'll just make the best of it every day. And some days will be better than others. Um, I just want to give people hope, especially when you find yourself newly diagnosed or you're in that situation where right now you barely understand what's going on, but your spouse really doesn't understand it. Like it, 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 it's genuinely not going to stay like this forever. And you might look back on this time and wonder what you were so, well, not wonder what you were so upset about. You'll know what you were so upset about, but you'll, you'll, you'll think, wow, I can't believe we got out of that. I'd never expected to leave that moment, but you can, and you likely will. Right. But when you're in it and you're in that newly diagnosed stage and haze and shock, I mean, it's, it's hard to accept or even comprehend that it will ever end that that particular stage well that's when you need somebody to tell you challenging that's why i said it because you need somebody to tell you this isn't going to be like this forever i mean the way i Mm -hmm. usually put it is diabetes is hard it doesn't get easier you just get way better at it and that makes it feel easier and and you 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 shouldn't make the you shouldn't you shouldn't worry about that distinction because, you know, you can do hard things and you are going to do hard things and it's going to be around diabetes. If diabetes is in your life, that's going to be the hard thing that you're going to do. Um, and you can, like you get some help, you can do it. It's, uh, and if you don't understand, like you said, like, you know, our, earlier Erica, like referenced, like listening to some of the pro tips, but she's not just like butter in my bread. She really thinks that like, you just need somebody. Oh, to, yeah. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Go find something that's valuable. Like to me, if you have a spouse that doesn't understand, those defining diabetes episodes are digestible, they're short, and they at least give them context. And then maybe some of the things you say to them, they'll have context for. Because you might be using words they don't even understand. And they're just nodding along, trying not to look like an idiot. You know? You don't know. Yeah. Every, yeah. People are complicated. It's disgusting. The whole thing's a mess. All right. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, life is hard. Yeah, there you but go. It's not, but it's not. But it's not always hard. <laughs> and it doesn't have to be this hard. Like sometimes you can you, you get through it, or you make it better yourself. Uh, you are really kind of the master of your own domain. You know, you can. I think that's a Seinfeld episode, which is about masturbation, which is not what I meant. So let's just keep moving. Uh, but you can you can be the master of of your. What am I looking for here? What's the word I want? Uh, future your out your, your perspective yeah, yeah of anything of all these things mm-hmm. you can change mm-hmm. the way you think about stuff i listen it's not apples to apples but i grew up pretty broke um you know and my life wasn't terrific um and there are a lot of times you had to get up in the morning and just i mean if you want my secret which is no secret i'm eternally hopeful like you will mm-hmm. never meet a person who wakes up reset more than i do if something goes wrong today, I will wake up tomorrow with the same enthusiasm I had before that bad thing happened. I don't see another way around it. I don't I I don't think I could carry all that baggage. You know what I mean? So you mm-hmm, get, mm-hmm. I just don't I don't walk with the weight of the world on my shoulders. I, I don't believe I could do it. So I just I reset my hope. I am a very hopeful person and I, I wake up every day 
expecting things to go well. And if they don't, it's okay. I'll try again tomorrow. It's pretty much it. But yes, know. it's good. It's healthy. Thank you. First, let's thank Touched by Type 1. Again, you can find them at touchedbytype1.org. You can also find them on Facebook and Instagram. They are a wonderful organization, and all they really want is for you to check them out. Take advantage of their programs. I also want to thank Erica. And you can find out more about what she does at ericaforsythe.com. That's E-R-I-K-A-F-O-R-S-Y-T-H.com. so much music left I'm having a hard time sitting here quietly I'd like to take just a moment to thank you all I know this happens frequently but it happens frequently because of how great you guys are and how supportive you are the podcast keeps having months that are better than the previous month meaning there are more people downloading and streaming the show This month than last month, more last month than the month before that. I've had record days, record weeks. For the past four weeks in a row, the podcast has grown pretty substantially. It's it's astounding, actually. The reason I'm telling you is because this is 100% because of you. Absolutely. When you leave a great review wherever you're listening, rate the show highly, tell somebody about it tell your doctor about it. Doctors, when you tell your patients, it just keeps growing and growing. And the message keeps spreading farther and farther. I am very, 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 very grateful for how much you all put into the podcast. So thank you very much for your efforts, for listening, for downloading, for streaming, however you listen, but mostly for sharing the show. That is a really big deal. I appreciate that you're listening, and I'll be back very soon with another episode.